0: Hello and welcome to episode number 57 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson as we run down all of the biggest gambling news, big bets, big wins, big losses, and all of the things that are happening in the DFS and poker industry. And joined again this week and every week that he can make it onto the podcast by Jay Ginsberg at Fairway, Jay, Jay Ginsbach, excuse me, at Fairway, JJ. Jay, Jay we are coming off of the Belmont here. This is something we had you on last week. We talked about the Belmont. Ten to one, Sir Winston wins the Belmont. Did that do you any good with Sir Winston?
1: Uh, personally, I, I I made some plays and I did have uh, I hit the exacto with Tacitus coming in second. Um, but I had a of this on top on quite a bit. I, I really focused on that horse. He came running at the end. But, you know, Sir Winston, I, I noted that this was the seventh time in the last 13 non triple crown years where we had a non triple uh, crown running of the Belmont. This is the seventh time that we've had a double digit winner. So it shows again that, you know, there is no d- definitive. Uh, way to get to the winter circle in the Belmont it's none of the horses ever run a mile and a half you don 't know for certain how they're going to handle so you get more I think looking into the the breeding and which which are bred for the distance. I talked a lot about that with Tacitus out of the um uh, sire who had won three of the last five those uh, sons of Tappet had won three of the last five Belmonts and Tacitus was there, but Sir Winston surprise winner and just enough to get it done
0: Brett. Did you go ahead and partake in the Belmont? You had said that maybe you were going to throw some some cash down. Did, oh, I did. Did you go ahead? And, okay, well, then let's go ahead and did Sir Winston do you any good?
2: I had zero Sir Winston.
0: <laughs> zero. So, Sir Winston, did you absolutely no good?
2: I, w- I was really heavy on that Japanese horse that finished, I think, fifth master fencer. And, uh, yeah, we didn't win any money again. I... W- I Completely whiffed on all three races this year. So great start to my horse racing career.
0: I mean, listen, it's the Belmont. There was no Triple Crown up for grabs here, or whatever. You didn't. You didn't do much research. Take it easy on yourself. I think I do zero
2: zero research. I don't expect to win going into this. (laughs) Like a lot of a lot of it is just telling Jay. Uh, I did have a bunch of Tacitus, uh, but. Yeah. Sorry I, about that. No, no. <laughs> I, no look, I, you ha, look, you had me on Tacitus, and I had zero War of Will, which turned out great. I think that horse finished ninth. But I didn't have the winner.
0: That's, so. a, that's a good fade then right there. Uh, guys, as always, we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify, we are on Stitcher. We are on Google Podcasts now as well. So basically every single place that you can listen to podcasts, we are available. So please go in, subscribe, rate, review. We really do appreciate it on the Twitter machine at PlayPixUS at the Lions US. Now, the big topic of the last couple of days the nba finals here we are talking about kevin durant here in just a second but let's talk about one of these big bets that came through our twitter machine here jay over at the superbook here in town right before things went off they took a one hundred and eighty-two thousand dollar bet at minus 190 odds on the warriors to win game four if you guys remember they did not win game four. Uh, I mean, 182K. Apparently, Jay, this is the same guy that had lost 75 grand the night before betting hockey. I bet that fellow was found at a local watering hole somewhere.
1: Should we be surprised? Another big bet on a, a favor a Moneyline favorite, which... No question. I think going into game four, you had to look like the Warriors would come back and, and get the win there. But it just shows again that the, the defensive side of basketball, especially in the NBA, I think is just not given enough credence. And clearly Toronto is the best defensive team, but they certainly have to slow down the um Clear efficiency and best offensive team of Golden State and yet they're playing without the star player Kevin Durant, who now we saw in game five made a difference early before he went out again with the a- Achilles injuries that's going to cost him the next 12 months he's not playing for the next year and that's that's a sad part but as you look at the rest of the series I you know we see some big bets I think coming in now back on Toronto on game five I think you noted uh, we've got a what a $55,000 bet on the, on the on the Raptors in game six here at plus three and a half and I've seen at least where I've looked at Sports Insights which tracks some of the major online sports books a consensus of like seven of them. You've got over 60% of the money taking the points with the Raptors so far uh, into, into game six.
0: Brett, I guess this is the question you and I often ask whenever we th- see these big bets come through and kind of wondering who these fellas are. If you're going to bet this, if you're going to bet, why don't you, where's the extra $8,000 to make this a clean bet? What, why are you betting 182000 instead of $190,000 here? What, what's wrong with this guy?
2: Because he went all in.
0: Because <laughs> he lost, every his, last he, he, he lost, asked. he lost the seventy-five k the night before, <laughs> and then and he only had one hundred and eighty-two. Like he couldn't get, he couldn't muster up the one ninety to make it a clean bet. That's that's your hypothesis here. I like it. Yes. I do. All right, I like it. I'm going to go with that as well. Because I mean, come on, man. Listen, guys, if you're going to go out there and do that, just bet the 190. What are you, what are you doing betting the $182,000 Does that really bother you? It really <laughs> does. When it comes through, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and like it's like, okay, it's 190 odds. Why is this guy betting 182? Jay, does this stuff ever run through your head whenever you see these bets come through? I'm just kind of like, what the hell is this guy do? If he's got 182, he's probably got 190.
1: I think your point is well taken. And if you have that kind of money, you you go for that. I see a lot of players, instead of laying one thirty-five to win a hundred, maybe if they don't have the money, they just lay 80 bucks to win the difference. And, and uh, they don't have the extra cash maybe, or just to quite as handy. But I, I, I'm always surprised Matt and Brett at the amount of money that is bet on some of these big games where I personally, you know, I've had, I've had few side bets at all in this series. I, 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 I have a, I, I posted that I have a, a series play on Toronto or, or a, to to win the the win the NBA. I think I placed it after they were down one to nothing at Milwaukee when they're twelve to one odds, and so now I've been I've hedged back. I've got you know I've locked it in both ways. Um, to to profit now when the Warriors were down three to two, and that's the way to play. I I just don't see the I don't see value. I don't see the opportunity to really have that kind of support and strength and confidence to uh, be laying a pretty significant amount of money. In this case, serious money. If you're laying 182,000 on a on a on a one game in the NBA Finals, where clearly it's been a back and forth and a tight series. We headed into Game Five.
0: There, the big news was that Kevin Durant was going to give it a go. It made the odds shift drastically. By the time the game went off, we had a full depending on you know depending on where you got the line if you bet it early. I mean, we had a, as much as a four point swing in this thing. Uh, of course, the Warriors did hold on to win the game. However, if you were able to get the Raptors at plus a point and a half like this fella that's talking right here. You still won the game. It was, a one, go. it was a one point win for the Warriors in that game. Uh, dogs are now three one and one against the closing spread here in the finals. It's just been absolute madness here, Brett. You and I were talking on the Slack machine before this kind of went off here. And I said, man, this really feels like a spot I need to get on the Raptors. I feel like this line is moving kind of artificially with Durant. And it actually played out exactly how I figured it would play out if the line was artificially moving here with a guy that had not played in about a month and a guy that had, uh, you know, had a high chance of re-injury. I had talked to one of my orthopedic buddies who had said, man, calf injuries, basketball players, no, no joke whatsoever. He's probably coming back too soon here. And sure enough, Uh, Unfortunately, he did and was able to get a very, very serious injury out of all this. But were you surprised at how much the line moved because of this Durant news?
2: Not really. I mean, I expected overreaction to the news on a player who, uh, I mean, obviously Durant is uh, one of the better players in the world. So I, I just, it's amazing though that Durant, a guy who two days prior to him coming back was reported as being nowhere near returning is a full go and he looked he looked good early in the game no question but like you said the the risk of re-injury was always high and then obviously you know the risk of fatigue later in the game was even higher so I saw this as a great opportunity like you to grab the Raptors and fade the public that steam was crazy I mean I think FanDuel said 90 percent of action after the Durant news came out was on the Warriors. So I think this is a spot you have to take Toronto and uh, uh, just kind of close your nose and, and hope for the best.
0: You know, Jay, I say this all the time. I'm not a doctor for sure. And I try not to put that too much into kind of like my capping and how I see things play out. But something like this Durant news, where, you know, you have a guy that didn't feel comfortable enough to play when his team was already down in this series and you know, it seemed like kind of like a last gasp here. Do you, do you take that type of stuff into consideration if you're looking at a game, you know, I mean, again, we're not doctors, but this Kevin Durant thing just seemed, I don't know. It seemed a little fishy to me.
1: When you follow the steam, if you're going to play on on news, injury news and particular player and situation, if you're going to follow it and you miss the best number now, you could have still got the Warriors, uh, plus two, plus one, and you were okay. But ultimately, when it went to minus one or pick, you don't think you know one one either side of pick 'em is going to make the difference. But in this case, it did. Or in your case, you, you got the extra half point for the win on Toronto. If you're going to miss it, there's just t- too many other opportunities to bet the game now with in game. And I, I I keep talking about these particular spreads. There's there's little to value. I I'd say Toronto's held the value. Um, if you're gonna, if you're betting this series, if if you watched it and seen the defensive play, you'd say, well, Toronto um, should be laying a similar price to Golden State at home because they they've played that well. So if there was a value side to be playing, I think it's on Toronto. But the reality, when you're now looking at these sides and and the situation, if you've got injury concerns, you have to factor that in. If you miss the best number when you're betting, then just wait. There's opportunities to to make it and play in game if if you've got that access and i think uh that's why when i see these big bets on the sides where i think these are pretty tough (laughs) games to figure i think you're just better off uh rather than playing pre-flop as we say uh, before the game just look for opportunities during the in-game situation and once durant went down with the injury now you had your opportunity maybe to be looking back at toronto because i think they were down six with him in the game and then when he went down with the injury they ultimately came back a little bit before just losing by one
0: As you mentioned, a $55,000 bet on the Raptors as soon as that line opened up over there at Westgate. That was at plus three and a half. Now, over at DraftKings Sportsbook in New Jersey, it is down to Warriors two and a half at this juncture. So we are... Kind of seeing how this line has shifted just from when it opened a couple of nights ago. So we will continue to track that and certainly talk about how this all ends up on the next podcast here. Another big sporting event that went down the French Open. If you are a tennis fan, you should be in awe of what Rafael Nadal has done. His 12th French Open title. The guy is 93-2. and At Roland Garros, I am sitting here telling you that the guy is 93 and two at a place. He has been favored in all but two matches at the French Open. And you're talking about a guy that started playing there at age 18. Uh, Jay, you, a, you a tennis better at all? Do you, do you follow the, the, just the big tournaments or do you kind of like to, uh, to get down on some of the tennis, tennis I matches?
1: don't bet tennis. I like tennis and I like to watch it, although I don't catch as much, but an unprecedented record and an unprecedented mark. And if he comes back next year and wins all seven of his matches, a hundred wins and two losses, <laughs> <I know. laughs> just, um, a, a remarkable feat. I was reading, I was reading a little bit about him, um, Nadal talked about when he first came out, like he said, 18 or 19. Now he's in his early 30s and the dominance he's had. But he's also talked about the wear and tear and, and really – as as most athletes that go through this we don't maybe think about the tennis as much he's 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 banged up and he's fighting you know he's taking painkillers and he's whether it's his knees or his hands or what he deals with it shows the the fortitude and the mental strength that he's had to come through these i think he mentioned that he's maybe playing nine events a year which doesn't seem like a lot but you can see um what it takes on the body even when he's in supreme condition but really really a remarkable remarkable run and his strength, and, and in this case, this year he beat arguably, I guess, the second best player on on clay in in Dominic Thiem, and, and that guy, um, I think, was four and eight against Nadal all time on clay, and yet he just got dominated in the last two sets, 6-1, six, 6-1, one, six, one, it's over, and Nadal continues his dominant run at the French. You know, Brett, Did you bet him, Matt?
0: Yeah, you know, it, Brett, you and I talked about it, and it's one of those deals where, I I knew the outcome here. The lines just never really got incredibly favorable here because and they shouldn't. I mean, it was one of those things where Rafael Nadal, the way that his game is set up for clay, it is just he is the perfect specimen for clay. And we, you know, we talked about it on on the last podcast whenever we saw the the line between him and Federer. And, And you were kind of shocked a little bit that it was as high as it was. And I said, man. It's it's actually right on because of the way that that Nadal plays and just the way that Federer's game kind of matches up on clay against his and what we are witnessing here. I think if it wasn't, you know, outside of the inside the tennis bubble, they know they understand how special it is. They understand they talk about it a lot. But outside of the tennis bubble, man, I just don't think Nadal is getting the credit he deserves for what he has done at this. I mean, as dominant a performance at a at an event that we've ever seen in the history of sports. I mean, it is one of the most incredible athletic feats we've ever seen and you yes. know again, it's just uh it's tennis, right? So we're just not going to get we're just going to not going to get as much buzz I think as we should, but it is it is incredibly special when you just read that record out loud and 12 titles. I mean, the guy has basically won the title Every single year that he's played it, where he's been healthy. I mean, it's just you know the the couple of years he didn't win it since he's been on tour was when he was really really banged up. And I mean, just just incredible here, and certainly something to take in. Uh, and, you know, next year he said he's going to give it a go for number thirteen. And hell, maybe Brett, that's when you should uh, start betting tennis. Right? You should just go ahead and take him pre pre flop on that in that tournament.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, from the betting side, this is actually a, a good entry point for maybe a lesson to casual betters out there who are going to look at a line like Nadal. What was he? Minus 500 against Federer or something ridiculous. Somebody who sees that line and says, well, you know, I don't want to risk my money to win pennies back on my dollar, but you got, you got to look at this as, as a long-term game. Value is value. You can't be afraid to lay the wood if you think the price is right. And maybe, I mean, look, maybe it is, maybe Nadal being a massive favorite in all these French open matches is the right play.
0: A, a side note here, Jay. You said you don't mention you, you don't bet much tennis, and even even I, I'm a huge, huge, huge tennis guy, and I don't bet a ton either. Maybe this is a lesson to our listeners out there. And I'll tell you the reason I don't, and it's strictly because it is. A one-on-one game and an injury means you lose and so like in football and in basketball and baseball yeah you know you're betting a starting pitcher he gets tossed or he gets a blister there's still a chance for you to win your bet there's still a chance if a quarterback goes out in the NFL if his star player goes out in basketball obviously we watched Durant go down the Warriors still win that game but when you're playing tennis you know you bet on a guy who's a huge favorite you've laid this massive amount to win not very much and then He gets a cramp or he gets a blister or he gets overheated or whatever it might be. And so that is why I am a little shy when it comes to tennis betting in betting kind of these these really big favorites, even though I know nine times out of 10 Nadal is going to just take the thing home. There is that weird chance of injury and you're just basically screwed at that point.
1: I think it's a good point in, in betting on really most anything is the overlooked possibility of a key player maybe going down, and, and that's the hazards of sports betting a little bit. But in, in the case with tennis, you're exactly right. It, uh, it, it would be difficult to swallow if you had a significant bet and you had your player go out with an injury. So if you bet
0: them on vandal, maybe they will get a refund. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, good <laughs> that's true. Maybe they would give us a refund over there if they did something like that. Um, all right, Brett. This is your this is your sport, your area of expertise. We are in Game Seven here of the Stanley Cup. What have you thought so far?
2: I think it's been a pretty exciting series. You always hope that these series are going to go seven games because there's really nothing better than a game seven. As you know, we we talk about how great some of these game sevens have been in the NBA playoffs this year. But there's really nothing that touches a game seven in the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially the finals. So, man, I can't I can't wait for this. I haven't been following as closely this year because. I can't stand to watch Boston in anything. So <laughs> I, I I mean it really I it's it's tough to watch, but I will be watching this in hopes that the Blues uh I guess upset Boston in Boston. I mean it it's it's been back and forth so many times this series, but um it's it's going to be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, plus 145 over at FanDuel Sportsbook, at DraftKings plus 143 there for the blues jay do you do much hockey betting and how how much are you into the into the stick and stick and puck sport here
1: well, you guys may not know much um, about me on the on the hockey end, but I played I played high school and I played college hockey. And Holy su- hell! Su- su-
0: oh man! <laughs> surprisingly, just um, slip that little humble brag in right there.
1: <laughs> well, I I like to tell the story that I, I played at the University of Minnesota, and then I, I I I softly say, well, I played on the JV, and then I tell people I tell people, but it's like uh, Duke basketball. I mean, if they had a JV team, you'd had some pretty good players. I played with um, I played with some. Stanley Cup winners on the JV uh, a guy by the name of Tom Chorsky who out of high school back in Minneapolis was the player of the year coming out of high school he's a first round draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens back in the 80s and he's in the doghouse at the University of Minnesota and I played um, he, yeah he's playing with me in the J B. anyway I went out for fun actually my my senior year just because I wanted to play again and I, I made uh, made the cut they had a Quite a few guys try out, and I played. And surprisingly, when I moved to Vegas years later, and I really – I I didn't follow hockey. And it's mainly because I wasn't betting on it. And as I broke into the handicapping scene, you know, my focus was on the college football, uh, NFL, college basketball especially, and then the NBA and, and certainly some baseball. And I just uh, – the, the the NHL and pro hockey is – without question one of the most luck driven sports in terms of um, results and you can have a team dominate the shots on goal and still lose and that's because of the the importance of the goaltender but the reality also is when the Golden Knights came to Vegas I certainly took a little more close in following and was was just watching the standings more and the answer is I do bet on hockey but I've also through the years you know had contacts and although I don't say I'm a follower I certainly have guys that are very good at handicapping hockey and, and understand and the Corsi and the ratings, and so I rely on them for information. And if I like the setup, I'll, I'll certainly play it. The one thing that I definitely could tell you that I would be doing if I was the St. Louis Blues better, who's going all, all in or bust with the Blues here for the hundred thousand dollar bet, is I, I know for certain that I would be. Uh, you know, it's not pro style what he's doing on on letting it ride here. And he had a great opportunity with the Blues ahead, three games to two, to come back and bet the Bruins not only in Game Six straight on the game, but also at a you know maybe a plus two sixty price. I think he could have. You know, he could have yeah. he could have laid off twenty thousand on the Bruins to win the series to take back over forty and and had a chance to really lock in a profit as well as bet the the Bruins in Game um, Six to win straight up as an underdog so he's missed the boat i have read some things that he's gonna let it all ride here and um, good for him that he had the opportunity and made the bet at long odds and it's come through but not not pro style as they say to have locked in a profit at this point he he, he has to do it now yeah game six was the spot to do it he still can certainly you know lay off some on game seven but it sounds like he's not going to do it
0: yeah, it seems crazy. I think that I think I read that he has the opportunity. He could, if he wanted to, could lock in like definitely a thirty-eight thousand dollars profit or something. And then if he wanted to just let it go to where his his original bet is the one that that profits the most, but he still makes a little bit of money. Yeah, I don't know, man. I would still be. I would still be. I, I don't know this guy's financial situation, so I can't really. I guess I can't really speak on it. But I mean, it seems to me in this scenario, Brett, unless you are really, really flush with cash unless you are doing really, really well. It seems really foolish not to lock in a profit here.
2: Such a boss move, yeah. though, man, letting it ride like this. I love it. I think it's a great story, but I would uh, I mean, I I don't know how you don't lay off some of it in game six. It was just a, a beautiful spot to do it, even if you're feeling good about it at home. I, I just I, I don't get it, man.
0: Yeah, it's just it's really odd. Again, we don't know these guys financial situations, but still, that just uh
1: He's definitely said 40,000 for most people, obviously a majority of people, 40,000, he had said 40,000 would make a significant impact in his life. And obviously a hundred thousand, much more, but yeah, he had, he's had an opportunity to make sure <laughs> he locked in something, but it is, uh, it's fun to watch. And the blues have been a terrific story. And I better than I thought, I thought the Bruins were pretty clearly the better team through uh, coming into the finals, but St. Louis has played very well. And they're there when their style is right and they can uh, put, Pose their will and their physical play They certainly have shown that they're right there as good as Boston
2: well we, hockey, man this is this, this is a Bruins team I didn't think we make the playoffs This year so here we are
0: well We all hope that the Blues cash in Tonight another entity That is going to be cashing in is NBC According to ad age They are asking 200 Grand for every 30 second Ad in game seven Of the Stanley Cup finals according To iSpot TV they are a uh, Watchdog group that talks, that looks at all the different advertisers and stuff Volkswagen, Honda, Lexus, Geico, Discover, Google, iPhone, Universal Pictures, Subway, Progressive, Bridgestone, and Coors Light all already on board at that price tag of 200 grand per 30 second ad here in game seven. Leads me to kind of wonder here, Brett, though, we've talked about this. Like, imagine when, I'm not going to say if, but imagine when. Sports betting gets in the mix here for this stuff. I mean, the the networks are still a little gun shy right now. They're not going to be taking these ads, but they will be taking these ads in the near future. We do know that. We know that it's not going to be a complete ban. We know that there is going to be some form of sports betting ads on television here. And I mean, this is one of those things where we would be mentioning you know the DraftKings and the FanDuel's and the MGM's no of the world, right here with the Googles and iPhones and Subways and Progressive and Coors Lights and stuff. I mean, they would be right in the mix here at two hundred grand for a thirty-second ad.
2: Yeah, uh, and you know now, and especially you know next year, as all of these states across the country are ramping up efforts to legalize sports betting. I mean, it's coming, and yeah, you're right. DraftKings, FanDuel, and and probably some others will be right in the mix here with these massive brands uh, on on. I mean, center stage. I mean, everybody's going to be watching this game.
0: Jay, I can't imagine the grin on my face when I'm sitting back watching a game seven of whatever sport it might be finals and out rolls a Lexus commercial. And then the very next one that rolls off is a sports book commercial. I, I just I'm I'm going to be loving. I mean, I'll be I'll be smiling ear to ear, man.
1: I think for those of us that have said the leagues have been so hypocritical for years, and especially the NFL, when we see that day come, it's going to be, you know, knowing that they're now raking in the money off of some of the advertising coming in. But um, I, I did read that they've averaged 4.6 million viewers through six games of the Stanley Cup final, and they're anticipating uh, almost twice that, over 8 million viewers, um, which was the last time they had, they had over 8 million in the last Game 7, which I think was in 2011, and obviously they're anticipating that they could reach that amount um, of viewership and in terms of advertising, that's serious eyeballs. And if it was a sports betting uh, company – Uh, There's no doubt that the leagues wouldn't pass up the opportunity to have that revenue coming in as well. Yeah, it
0: would just be, not would you, it will be amazing because it is certainly going to happen. So certainly something we'll keep an eye on here. It was just announced that the soon to be Las Vegas Raiders, the current Oakland Raiders, are going to be the team That is featured on HBO's Hard Knocks. Brett, you and I have followed this over, you know, we talked about this last year on this very podcast. Hard to believe that we've been doing this podcast for a year now. But we talked about this last year when Hard Knocks got announced and and whatnot. And here we are with it being the Raiders. No shortage of personalities, no shortage of storylines here for this Raiders team one of the things we followed was kind of that hard knocks effect on the betting aspect of the uh, the team featured as well. I can't imagine we won't see the same thing here with this Raiders team.
2: Yeah, I think there's a natural hard knocks hype boost. Uh, I don't, I'm don't, i not sure it moves the needle that much. Uh, we are talking about a team that is coming to Vegas, so the market's already going to be a little different for the Raiders there. But I also think this is a little different than last year because the Browns were coming off – that owen 16 season so the range of outcomes for cleveland was a little wider than the raiders this year the raiders were bad last year too four and 12 but yeah they bring in antonio brown they had three first round draft picks they were the team that got really the most uh not the most buzz but they were all over that f- the the thursday night first round during the draft so i mean the there's definitely going to be some hype um but i mean it's 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 tough because also that division is is so strong i'm not am I'm, I'm just not sure people are going to be excited uh, about the raiders even after uh, they're fo- uh, featured here on, on Hard Knocks.
0: Jay, over at DraftKings, the Raiders, plus 7,500 to win the NFL championship here. they, bree- Of course, they have Gruden. You, uh, Brett just mentioned Antonio Brown. They have Gruden. They brought in Incognito. I mean, there is going to be <laughs> no shortage of personalities and crazy storylines I can only imagine over the course of this. Do you expect to see this? Do you expect to see the line move a little bit? I mean, it seems like we have people who fall in love with these teams because they feel like they get to know these players and and everything. So, uh, how do you think this thing ends up?
1: It could certainly bring the the number down a little bit for, because of the media coverage. But personally, from a betting perspective in, in my handicapping years of of doing football and certainly in the NFL, I don't. You know, I just don't follow. These kind of stories, I, I think it's a really good story in that they, they, I think the Lions and the Redskins and the Giants were in the running for a hard knock spot this year, and uh, I think Jay Gruden said you should definitely go out and do a final on the Oakland Raiders with some of the players they brought in and the last year in Oakland, and they made that decision. And I think it's a good one for coverage of not only the Raiders but the league in their last year. Um, but I focus in as best I can more, and I've got a lot of work still to do on on the Raiders. But you know, I'm looking at scheduling and. How, how are the players coming together? John Gruden, the coach of the Raiders, has clearly said that they've got a lot to, to accomplish here in a short amount of time. And looking at their schedule and travel, and they play in London again. And they open up Monday night against the Broncos, small favorite. The ultimate Super Bowl odds, I think, could come down on them. And, and let's, you know, I, I don't right now I, I would not say in any way I'd have a season over under play yet until I look deeper into the Raiders and how these fits are going to come together um, I like a few of the moves I think Antonio Brown is they, they said he's a very very hard worker and, and hopefully he'll gel in with Carr but you know bringing Incognito you know at his age and his mid I don't know what is he 36 at his age to bring him in and, and the, the issues he's had I don't know if that to me that just wasn't as, as good of a signing and Perfect obviously he's had some troubled times but clearly a strong player and a physical player but how all that comes together we'll see I'm just always looking at how is the chemistry going to be but then I'm looking at scheduling and ultimately I dig into the statistical profiles and how are they running the ball and what kind of balance they have and I I think the Raiders Potentially could have the move down. Are they going to be the surprise of the hundred to one Chicago Bears a year ago at the start of the season and then turn into a great season? Probably not. But I think they they have the potential to maybe be a little stronger if their defense can be um, much better, because that was the difference with the Bears resurgence. And I, the, the Raiders just don't have the defensive strength or talent as shown yet.
0: Season win total at six for the Raiders over at DraftKings Sportsbook and plus three thousand to win the AFC for the Raiders over there as well. So certainly something we will monitor as to uh, as to how these lines I, I estimate that these numbers will actually move because we have seen this just year after year with this hard knocks effect and. You know, there's going to be people who fall in love with somebody on this team or fall in love with what's going on or whatever it might be. And it's going to be very, very interesting here. Now, Jay, we usually have you on as an expert. So glad to have you on as the in, for the entire podcast here and get your insights on all these things here. But the U.S. Open is certainly something that we are very, very excited about here. I mean, this is... I keep calling it the golden age of golf. I, mean, I really and truly believe that what we are going through right now with golf is just so so amazing. So many players aged thirty or younger that legitimately have a chance to win a big tournament every single time they tee it up, and I'm just I'm just in awe every single time I turn on the television here. But uh, for the people for the people listening here, let's let's give them a little bit of a of, a, of an overview of, of what we're looking at here at the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, I did a, I did a piece for Forbes, and I, I work in some of the things for the lines on uh, trying to get the coverage that's well done on some of these. In the play picks, we've got some good coverage, I think, with the U.S. Open. and um, I, I made note that if you're trending in the U.S. Open in particular with the, the difficulty and how they usually set up these courses, it's since 2011, the last seven U.S. Opens. Um, every winner has been less than 50 to 1 odds. And I, I, I noted t- the 20 players that are coming in at 51 or just less than 50 to 1. Um, and there's your likely winner coming out of that group. And yet I always remind people, it, it's just so difficult week in and week out to Pick a winner, and you see so many long shots that do win events. But when you get to the majors, the cream is usually going to come up here and rise, and we're going to see the strength of the players. But the U.S. Open's a different challenge. It's it's just mental strength and fortitude. It's when you when they talk about patience, the difference is that many weeks the players can plan on four to five to six birdies around, and at the U.S. Open, you know, par is going to be a good score, and it's the reality. And while Pebble Beach isn't going to bring the length it's playing under seventy one hundred yards It's par seventy one they converted a par five on the second hole to a par four for the pros in this event it's still going to be a difficult challenge it looks like the wind isn't going to come up um, in any day, it's showing less than 15 miles an hour. But when you have the breezes coming off the uh, the Pacific and most of the holes playing seaside, it's going to certainly be in effect. And I, I uh, th- there's a few players that I'm ruling out as among the, the, the top at the odds boards. you got Dustin Johnson, Brooks Koepka, Roy McIlroy, all around 8 to 10 to 1. And those are the three favorites. And I think of the three... Brooks Koepka, the two-time defending U.S. Open champion who's just been playing strong again this year, he's the one that I don't think is going to have as good a run. If you look at his career path, he doesn't play a lot on the West Coast. He doesn't – he's not as – uh, strong or playing familiar with the Poana greens, and that's that's a must. I mean, the Tiger had some good quotes about what what's the difference in in playing on Poana, and he's uh, it doesn't take much to get off off, off line when you're putting on those dreams. The trick to the trick to putting on Poa is to make sure you're always below the hole because if you're putting downhill, it has a plinko effect where the ball can roll just different. It's not as pure, and I don't think Kepka is going to have the advantage of his brute strength and length in this course it takes just a much more thinking around this course to have success so he's the one favorite that I don't think is a good play and frankly when you're playing these pre-flop if you're betting the futures to win there's just little value and you can sometimes get it after round one or even round two where a player might be sitting four or five back and you can get better odds certainly on the the favorites than you could have at the start of the tournament but I do I did make a case that I um I, I, I think Justin Thomas is going to be there there, although I didn't mention in my article that he's one of my favorites. I think he is, if he's recovered from his injury, he's got the game and the statistical profile T to green that can be success. And another thing to remember about when you're playing out in this particular course, you're only going to see the players, um, use the driver three to at max six holes in this course. So they're going to be hitting irons off a lot of tees because ball placement into the uh, fairways and hitting the fairways is paramount. And, um, uh, if I had to come from those players, I made a case for uh, Xander Schauffele um, as, as a player to watch. Patrick Cantley, his odds have come way down, but he's certainly got the game and in top form to, uh, to play well. And then uh, let me just double check. I had... Um, I've got so much to, to look to look at as far as the matchup still but Dustin Johnson of the favorites of the top favorites He was the one that I thought could still have the best chance And then I made a little case for Jason day whose driving isn't as strong but if I've looked at like his history of where he's done well and you got to be right around the 150 Marker is where a lot of players are gonna have to have strength And I think day can has has that game as well as scrambling You're just gonna have see players missing a lot of greens and they have to be able to scramble and that's another where I go back Back to a guy like um, uh, Brooks Kepka who I think will struggle a little bit more this week.
0: Brett, you know, we have DFS players that listen to this podcast as well, looking over here, massive, massive contests over at DraftKings. I imagine Tommy Fleetwood coming in at 8900. You got Paul Casey coming in at 8300. Imagine those two guys are going to be two of the more popular guys, super highly rostered. I can only imagine because when you look at these at the upper upper tier here, DJ coming in at 113, Rory at 105, Cantlay at an even 10, Kepka at 116 being able to save down to a guy like Fleetwood at 89, a guy like Casey at 83. I mean, get, being being able to have those uh, that savings and putting into play with the rest of your lineup is really, really going to come in handy. I imagine those guys are going to be really heavily owned.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a major, so the pricing is a little softer. You can get these great players in the 8,000 range, and you can pair them with the guys at the top. I'm with Jay, though. I, I'm I'm off of guys like Kepka and even Rory on this course. It just doesn't set up like your typical major event. I mean, you look at what Kepka did in, in the majors over the past few years. He won at Beth Page, where it was around 7,500 yards. He won at Shinnecock, where it was 7,500 yards. He won at Aaron Hills, where it was like 7,700 yards. This one we're looking at seven thousand yards here. I mean, this year's event is going to be more about precision, less about distance. I just don't think you're getting value with guys like Kepka and Rory, especially you know if you're betting Rory, his odds are now down to nine to one after he won in in Canada last week. Uh, I, I don't. I I want golfers who are going to hit fairways and greens and like Jay said, scramble out of that thick rough and sand. So those are the key stats I'm looking at with my golfers this week, and certainly guys like Fleetwood and Casey are gonna are a good course fit uh if you can if you can eat the chalk but i'm with you matt like the the guys in this like 28 to 36 to one range like jason day justin rose adam scott the guys who can get it close to the pin from like 175 and avoid the traps around this course that's who i want there are so many guys in that range who can just win here justin thomas at 33 to 1 it's crazy to me uh jason day 36 to 1 i mean I just don't see that much of a difference between these guys and a Rory and a Kepka this week.
0: So let me ask you, Jay, a guy that certainly is going to be getting some people taking a look at him just strictly based on the odds here. You know, Jordan Spieth, 21 to 1 at DraftKings. I've seen him even longer at a couple of other places here certainly struggled recent certainly struggled over the last couple of seasons here but then now we look at a guy that seems to be rounding into form a little bit looks like he's got a little bit more confidence when he's out there certainly the play on the course has shown that he is starting to figure things out yet again if you're playing somebody in that 20-ish range do you like Spieth or are you looking elsewhere
1: here, I'll, I'll make a bet right here on the show. If Spieth wins the U.S. Open this week, I'm buying both of you guys a $50 win ticket <laughs> on the on the British Open, and you can maybe bet a solid favorite. Where Royer McIlroy is going back to Northern Ireland to compete. So that's how much I think of Spieth. I I don't like him, and I'm not playing him in any way. Uh, we'll see if I eat on those or not. But I'm <laughs> I'm putting that out there so you can hold me accountable that I'm. If he wins this event, I'm buying you guys a $50 win ticket each on the uh, British Open. I you know I I've talked about the favorites. There's as as Brett started to allude to the. There's so much. Other value, and Justin Thomas is one of the value plays when you correlate his odds to win versus when you get into the daily fantasy and I think Fleetwood and um, uh, Snedeker are, are there i 've got some long shots like a Matthew Fitzpatrick, who I think can actually be a contender, and now you 're starting to get into guys that are over a hundred to one um, and and clearly there 's players that are really starting to play well, like a van. Um, uh, the kid that actually went to my alma mater and is from South Africa Ben Ryan uh, who's playing well you get a little worried that they haven't played the course a little bit and and how are they going to adjust but um, you know form current form is has some value I do like to look in, in events like this and say okay how have guys performed and, and really links down now when you get the guys from South Africa and Australia like Jason day that are really accustomed to playing in windy conditions that ha- I you know that's an i <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think an overlooked part of uh, factoring in on who you're playing in these events and I think that has to come into play but there's some long shots that I'm looking at like Fitzpatrick that I mentioned and and uh, if you look at some of the articles that are out there you've got Cameron Smith is another guy over 100 to 1 it certainly has the game now will these guys win well there's other ways to bet it you know right. there's top 10s there's top 20s there's uh, who's going to finish best of the um, uh, of the Australians or the Europeans and 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 I, I I encourage you if you're if you're wagering on this to have options because once the play starts and you've got round one or round two results going in, you have the opportunities to make some bets and still get, I think, some value while it's going on. And then the best way I think the profit is I've done this for years. I used to do the radio show and I used to be a pretty strong handicap or follower for some of the things I talked about in matchups. You just If you're going to win consistently, you need to be looking at the head-to-head matchups and the best way to do that is uh, to, to, to also try to find value, which is harder when you're playing these favorites, but it's it's the guys that like a, a Bubba Watson that I think will miss the cut. Those are those are the matchups that I'll start to look at where I think a guy's just flat out going to struggle on the golf course and I can get him in a matchup where I think if he misses the cut, I have a really good chance to cash it by the weekend. Yeah, this course sets up horribly for Bubba. Yeah, yeah, no question.
0: So, Brett, you know, one of the things that we talk about here and we talk about value and we talk about shopping a little bit, I mean, you we are able to go to the lines, we are able to kind of look at the different places that you can uh, certainly over in New Jersey, because I mean, this is something I think that we need to drive home here that really and truly, especially when it comes to these golf outrights, I mean, if that's the way you want to go in betting this tournament, you really should look at the different places. I mean, and and it really does bounce back and forth. I mean, you're getting better odds on Xander at DraftKings than you are at BetStars. But if you want to bet Tommy Fleetwood, you're getting better odds at BetStars than you are at DraftKings. I mean, so it really is a situation where if you're looking at these outrights, I cannot stress enough, to compare the odds at the various books over there in New Jersey, because I mean, you know, again, Fleetwood's thirty to one at DraftKings, where he's thirty-five to one over at BetStars. I mean, that is no a b- that's a big difference, and certainly a bunch of extra money in your pocket that you're leaving on the table if you don't do this.
2: Yeah, especially early on. I mean, when these odds first came out, um, there were huge discrepancies just between like DraftKings and FanDuel. So, I mean, you can take advantage by price shopping early, and even now, you look at a guy like Henrik Stenson. Right now, he's forty-five to one on DraftKings; he's sixty-five to one on FanDuel. So, if you like henrik who i mean his profile is pretty nice for this course a guy who doesn't i mean he uses woods more than anything else i mean he, he's all he does is hit fairways and grains so if you like stenson i mean you're gonna get a great price at fandle so i mean definitely take a look if you're in new jersey or pennsylvania definitely uh, take a look well online you're gonna be looking at new jersey um if you are in pennsylvania you can only bet at the one book right now at sugar house but you, you definitely Either way, price shopping is is definitely something you should be doing.
0: Jay, before we move off of the US Open here, talk me off of Bryson DeChambeau at sixty six oh to one. I mean, at sixty-six to one. I mean Dude, I, I'm with I, you. I, I just talk me off of Bryson DeChambeau. I just look at this and it's like I understand how horribly he's been playing. I understand all he wants to do is bitch about the golf course that after he gets done playing, but I mean, the talent is there and it's 66 to one. I don't know. I just and he grew up on this course, man. He played golf in California like he, everything
2: points to Bryson. But then he just it just blows up in my face every single time here's
1: a guy he he is the uh study he is the I'm an analytical as I told Brett and this guy is you know anal with his preparation and how he approaches and and frankly in the U.S. Open you have to be you know not only patient but you have to be precise and he's probably weighed out all of his different situations and where he's having to place the ball in certain courses but um, I there's no question if there are some Plays and value plays, he'd have to be considered one of them. Whereas, you know, clearly he has every bit of chance as some of the guys that are priced in the thirty to one range. And um, I have to look at his course history, and I, I have access to all that. And I didn't double check it here as we That's came not on, great. but um, that that can certainly change. And you want to look at how his form is coming in and how he's playing, but. Um, Sixty-six to one. I mean, yeah, (laughs) he opened like
2: twenty to one at the Masters in the PGA, and here he is at sixty-six to one at a course he's very familiar with. It seems crazy to me, but yeah, his his recent form has not been great.
0: Has not been great for sure. Again, all of uh, the good analysis from Jay, and even more. Again, head over to Play Picks and Lines, and we will certainly uh, have his his thoughts and and hopefully. We can cash some tickets this weekend with this, guys. Let's close things out here. There's been a debate on Twitter. We talked a little bit about poker last week. We'll talk a little bit about poker this week. It's a thing that's been running for several years now. They run a $25,000 buy-in fantasy World Series of Poker uh, contest. Uh, It is, you know, Brett, it is the who's who, essentially, of the poker industry that buys these teams, and they do a big draft, and it's a whole big to-do, and and, whatnot. and you know, listen, it's a pretty big payout as well for the winner of this thing. And there's been a big debate going on on Twitter here recently because the World Series of Poker added a $50,000 No Limit Hold'em event that not only is a $50,000 No Limit Hold'em event, but is a $50,000 No Limit Hold'em event that has unlimited re-entries during the re-entry period. So it certainly benefits people who have deep pockets, people who have... Big bankrolls. And so the question is should this tournament be allowed to count for points in this $25,000 fantasy contest here? And shockingly, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Shockingly, A lot of people are coming in saying that it should, despite the fact that this was not on the schedule whenever everybody drafted their teams before the World Series started. Now, they point to the rules where it says that any open event counts towards points. But I think you and I are of like mind here that when it comes down to it a $50,000 no limit holdem event that is also a no limit holdem re-entry event that's unlimited re-entry <laughs> certainly <laughs> seems like that would change maybe a strategy of a team that you would draft or whatever had this been on the schedule to, from the beginning
2: Well of course and they they put it at the end of the schedule too so you've got all the information in front of you so and, you know if people are on the bubble of the money they can just fire or put, you could put your guys in the tournament and, tr- and try to make you money uh, both in the tournament and the 25k fantasy. So I mean, this is this is baffling to me. And and the bo- most important guy uh, at the forefront of this is Daniel leGrand, who's the commissioner of this 25k fantasy. And without hesitation, yesterday said this will be included in the 25k fantasy league scoring. Uh, Which brings I, to the debate. I, yeah. Yeah, and that that's where the debate started of whether this should count uh negrano like you said claims the rule in, in the rules that you know all open events will count in the rankings but in the standings which is actually false it doesn't even say that on the site but even if you did you're setting a terrible precedent here by tweaking uh, the language of a rule after the league has already started tracking points uh this is the most basic fantasy football commissioner protocol right
0: yeah, just so stuff- I mean, it, Jay. It, it, the thing to me that seems crazy is like one of the arguments I keep seeing is people saying like, "Look, it's a no limit hold'em. It's one no limit hold'em event. Everyone plays no limit hold'em. Yada yada yada." Well. I mean my my retort to that would be okay so what if they added five tournaments at the end then yeah. like what if they what if one of them was a horse event what if one of them was a hundred thousand dollar buy in PLO event or whatever I mean uh, using the logic that it's only quote unquote only one no limit hold them event well I mean that's a slippery slope because now you're leaving the door open and where do you draw the line I mean if they decide exactly. to add three more events at the end do you count those as well so I don't know just this just seems like so basic and such an easy decision, I can't understand how this is this is even a debate.
2: I was floored yesterday when this debate was happening, because really, it's, it's common sense. There's really only one side to this, and I, I just can't believe that poker players, who are usually pretty analytical and understand how these things work, it, it was pretty... Uh, it was pretty balanced, actually. Stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's now I, under arbitration, so I guess we'll I mean, see what happens. I mean,
0: Jay, do you, are, you, are, you, are, you of, are you of the mind of me and Brad here? Do you think that this scene is is, is as basic as we think it is?
1: As I, I read about the event, and I didn't know the impact of the fantasy till I saw a little bit on it, and I would say – not inclusive it should not be but um if they've got the support of the players which i don't know if that's advantageous to everyone involved but i would say adding it midstream and after the fact and and your point is that what's not to say that they won't add others and i think there's some uh serious concerns if you're running a simple fantasy league like you said where you'd have the change in rules and i don't think that's as acceptable
0: yeah, seems pretty crazy to me. And we'll actually hold off. We have a story uh, uh, to talk about with Sinclair, but don't want to run this thing too long here. And that's certainly a longer conversation. So we'll save that for next week, talk about. Sinclair's increasing role in the future of legalized sports betting of course them acquiring the Fox Sports regionals and already owning several other properties and so a little tease for you guys for next week and hopefully it'll be a a story that we will talk about after we are all cheersing our big wins from the U.S. Open this week uh, courtesy of Jay's great articles and his, uh, his picks here but again Guys, we're on iTunes. We are on Spotify. We're on Stitcher and on Google Podcasts. So, every single place that you can find this, we really, really, really want you to go and get it. Subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help us climb the charts there at Play Picks US, at The Lines US. You can find Jay at Fairway Jay. You can find Brett at Brett Colson. You can find me at Matt Brown M2. For Jay, for Brett, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.